Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 2 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 9 through 13. The chapter is titled, The Genesis of Marriage. We'll do the reader program portion part of the program first and then we will get into the reading and commentary after. The reader portion of the program is about 10 minutes long. When we begin the commentary portion of the program, anyone with questions about polygamy or comments about polygamy can call in. The guest call-in number is 917- 889-8827. If you call in during the, this portion of the program, I'll bring you into the call screening room and ask you what your question or your comment is and ask you if you want to go live on the air. If you do, then I'll bring you on. If not, then you can... Just listen online, I'll put you back in the box. After the commentary portion of the program, anyone with questions on theology can call in the same phone number. There's also a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Let's get into this commentary, this reading program portion of the program. Thanks for listening. The Genesis of Marriage, Chapter 2 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 9 to 13, and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. General 2.18. After the creation, God gave to man a woman with the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. This was the first obligation of man to his creator. Man should multiply his species, so that his children might also have the same experiences in life. That law of propagation has never been changed or evoked. The creation of the earth was not an accident or a mystery without purpose or reason. Man's probation here is an essential and rewarding experience so that he might learn right from wrong and good from evil. In the midst of this paradise, God placed a tree called the tree of good and evil. If the tree did not have a purpose or reason for being there, God would have plucked it up like an obnoxious weed. Neither did God create man and woman and then heedlessly leave a talking serpent to be their overseer or godfather. Each part of this creation was done with divine wisdom and a profound reason. 10. Adam brought his children into this world to gain wisdom between good and evil just as he had obtained it and dashed through experience. Living in a world filled with pain, sorrow, disease, affliction and death would certainly provide man with the experiences he needed to make him appreciate the joys of heaven. His struggle in the conflict between good and evil would render an abundance of trials, temptations and oppositions which would teach him that difference. Mortality is a schoolhouse. Experience is the teacher. And death is the graduation. But with the closing of Earth's door, another is opened. Adam introduced death, but Christ would initiate eternal life. Adam provided the blood of mortality. Christ gave plasma for immortality. 
Adam led men from mortality to the grave. Christ would lead them in the resurrection. Jesus had been foreordained for that mission as a lamb slain from before the foundations of this world. Rev. 13, 8, hence, the entire creation of man's existence was pre-planned. This world was not an evolutionary progression of mutations, but rather a carefully calculated estate governed by an all-wise and all-loving parent. This creation is so carefully managed that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without his notice. See Matt. 10, 29. After the years of grief, opposition and sorrow have torn the heartstrings of man and woman, then shall the blessings come. From Adam we gained experience. From Christ we shall gain the reward. At first Adam and Eve enjoyed the Garden of Eden as though it were a part of heaven itself. There, eleven, were no weeds, no wickedness, no pain or sorrow. It was beautiful and heavenly, but it was a condition of suppression. Wisdom requires experience. It is by tasting that one knows the bitter from the sweet, the salt from the sugar. Without the taste of sorrow, man could never know happiness. So God introduced marriage on this earth at a time when Adam and Eve were two immortal beings, capable of living forever. If Eve had been more careful with her diet, she would have continued to live in an immortal state of marriage. When God gave immortal Eve to immortal Adam, he didn't say, till death do you part, because death had not yet been introduced on earth. Some have argued that the saying, they twain shall be one flesh, indicates that there should not be any more than two, or twain, in a marriage. Lieutenant does not convey any such idea. Jesus said, I and my father are one, or twain are one, and he prayed for all those that would believe in him, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. John 17:21. It was just as easy for all of his disciples to be one with him as it was for a man to be one with several wives. The three wives that were subsequently married to Jacob became one with him in Leah. No matter how many wives a man may have, he and each wife will be one altogether. The motivating principle in marriage is to be one. It matters not if there are only two in the marriage or a dozen. Wives, children and a man should work for oneness in purpose and in love. When the family is united together in all things, they are prepared to unite themselves with heaven and all are one with God. 12. Although marriage is sanctioned, blessed and commanded of God, mankind have wantonly abused it. As Martin Luther said, and yet the whole world shuns this legitimate, divinely instituted union and prefers to indulge in promiscuous relations, which are harmful in more than one way. Property is squandered, bodies are damaged by serious diseases, God is provoked to inflict horrible punishments, and, worst of all, states and households are destroyed. Why do we not avoid these great evils? Why do we not prefer to seek the blessing of God through a legitimate union? Obviously because our nature is corrupted by sin, rebellious, and intolerant of laws, and does not want to be tamed or restrained. Luther's Works, Volume 3, 48 The first commandment given to man was to be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. General 128 to Noah it was repeated, be fruitful, and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. General 9, 7, generations of children would continuously be born, or created, who would follow in the footsteps of their great-grandparents who learned good from evil. But God also gave other commandments and rules for guidelines, many of which included laws pertaining to marriage. But many argue that Adam was a monogamist. 
We are informed about Eve, but it didn't say that he was not a polygamist. Neither did God give any law to him saying that he could not be a polygamist. 13. Those who use the argument that God took a rib from Adam and made only one woman for him, must also consider that Adam had more than one rib. There are many things that occurred in Adam's time that did not particularly mean that it should always be so. For instance, Adam was told to cultivate a garden in Eden. Is that any reason that any of his posterity could cultivate only one garden? God also told Adam and Eve to make coats of skins to clothe themselves, see General 321, but this did not mean that everyone else would be condemned if they wore cotton, silk, or nylon. God knew that as a general rule man would not want more than one wife at a time. God also knew that there would be exceptions to this, so he not only allowed them to live plural marriage, but in many instances instituted laws directing them to do so. Polygamy was not a marriage system that began with Moses or in later time, but was mentioned in the very first book of the Bible. It is an historical fact that, in the patriarchal age, polygamy prevailed. Pilavet's Bible Dictionary, p. 387. Furthermore, it has been prevailing ever since. 14. Chapter 3. Lamech. Guilty or not guilty? Okay. <clears throat> that was the end of the uh, reading portion of the program. So, we're going to get into the commentary portion of the program now. Like I said before, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Try to keep an eye on that chat room in case you want to use the chat room for your questions or comments, that's fine. The chat room can be found at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah, I think I'm just going to start reading then. Uh, Dad, are you there? Or mom, are you there? Dad's not on the listening. I'm going to start reading then. Because uh, I don't know if anyone's there. Uh, chapter 2. The Genesis of Marriage. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Genesis 2, 18. After the creation, God gave to man a woman with a commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. This was the first obligation of man to his creator. Man should multiply his species so that his children might also have the same experiences in life. The law of propagation has never been changed or revoked. The creation of the earth was not an accident or a mystery without purpose or reason. Man's probation here is essential is an essential and rewarding experience so that he might learn right from wrong and good from evil. In the midst of this paradise, God placed a tree called the tree of good and evil. Uh, um, if that tree did not have a purpose or reason for being there, God would have plucked it up like an obnoxious weed. Neither did God create man and woman than heedlessly leave a talking serpent to be their overseer or godfather. Each part of this creation was done with a divine wisdom and a profound reason. Uh, page 10. Adam brought his children into this world to gain wisdom between good and evil, just as he had obtained it through experience, leaving, or living in a world filled with pain, sorrow, disease, affliction, and death would certainly provide man with experiences, or with the experiences he needed to make him appreciate the joys of heaven. His struggle in the conflict between good and evil would render an abundance, an abundance, abundance of trials, temptations, and oppositions, which would teach him that difference. Uh, mortality is a schoolhouse. Experience is the teacher, and death is the graduation. But with the closing of the earth's door, another is opened. 
Adam introduced death, but Christ would initiate eternal life. Adam provided the blood of mortality. Christ gave uh, plasma for immortality. Adam led men from mortality to the grave. Christ would lead them in the resurrection. Jesus had been foreordained for that mission as a lamb slain before the foundations of this world. Revelations uh, chapter 13, verse 8. Hence, the entire creation and man's existence was pre-planned. This world was not an evolutionary progression of mutations, but rather a carefully calculated estate governed by an all-wise and all-loving parent. This creation is so carefully managed that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without his notice. That's a weird expression. Uh, see Matthew 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 29. After the years of grief, opposition, and sorrow have been torn the heartstrings of man and woman, or they have torn the heartstrings of man and woman, then shall the blessings come. From Adam we gained experience. From Christ we shall gain the reward. At first, Adam and Eve enjoyed the Garden of Eden as though it were a part of heaven itself. There were no weeds, no wickedness, no pain or sorrow. It was beautiful and heavenly, but it was a condition of suppression. Wisdom requires experience. It is by tasting that one knows the bitter from the sweet, the salt from the sugar. Without the taste of sorrow, man could never know happiness. And we are now on page 11. Anyone have anything to say while I take take a drink? I'm on here now listening. I was just uh, picking up that stuff for Dad. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Oh, okay. Yep. So I can hear you coming in loud and clear. Okay. That's good. Anything to say? Yep. Nope. I just wanted you to know that I'm (laughs) listening in so that you're not there by yourself. Okay. Yeah, I started and I'm like, I don't know where everyone is, so I'm just going to start reading. So I read, well, like, that's on the probably a quarter of the way to it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, he was breaking up, and I had asked him a question about what I was picking up, so then um, I called him, and uh, he was breaking up on the mine road. So he'll call back in when he comes back down. Okay, I'm going to continue reading then. So God introduced marriage on this earth at a time when Adam and Eve were two immortal beings capable of living forever. If Eve had been more careful with her diet, she would have continued to live in an immortal state of marriage. When God gave immortal Eve to immortal Adam, he didn't say, till death do you part, because death not had, or had not yet been introduced on the earth. Some have argued saying that they twain shall be one flesh indicates that there should not be, or there should not be any more than two or twain in a marriage. It does not convey any such idea. Jesus said, I and my Father are one, or twain are one. And he prayed for all those that would believe in him, that they may be one, as thou, Father, are in me, and I am thee, that they may also be one in us. John chapter 17, verse 21. Uh, It was just as easy for all of his disciples to be one with him, as it was for a man to be one with several wives. The three wives that were subsequently married to Jacob became one with him and Leah. Uh, No matter how many wives a man may have, he and each wife will be one or together. They, or no, not they, the motivating principle in marriage is to be one. It matters not if there are only two in a marriage or a dozen. Wives, children, and the man uh, should work of oneness or not love, for oneness in purpose and in love. When the family is united together in all things, they are prepared to unite themselves with heaven and all are one with God. Page 12. Anything to say? The whole time, but I was, like Mom said, I was on the mine road. I just think it's funny when you think about the Trinity and the people that are like, well, Jesus says he's one with the Father, but then right after that he says, He prays that they all might be one together, the apostles. So we could call it the fifth trinity, not the trinity, if that's the case. If you, like, take that reading of it, which is an incorrect interpretation of Scripture. So 
I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Also, when people flip out about adultery, what's interesting about adultery is if you go back into the Greek or the Hebrew, it means a uh, a woman who is married, and a woman commits adultery when she breaks the marriage bond. Um, or if a single man or a married man is with another married woman, then he commits adultery with her because she's committing adultery. That people, like, they get that word and they think that they can interpret it by the light of their Gentile understanding when that's problematic because then you come up with the incorrect interpretation of Scripture. And uh, you can know closer what the true interpretation is by reading what the definition of the word is in the original language, not by just taking it as, oh, well, this means this in our culture, so that must mean the same thing. Well, oftentimes it doesn't. So, um, yeah, and then after you do all of that, that's called studying it out to the best of your ability. You go and you get revelation about it and inspiration and all that, but but before you do all of that, you've got to know what the words mean before you pretend to know what the words mean. You have to actually study it. And, you know, back in the day, people may not have been able to do that as well as we can today, but we can today. It's easy. Um, you can figure out what the definition of these words are pretty easy. Anyway, Kim, did you have something to say? You're muted, Kim. Um, I was, yeah, I know. I was going to say pretty much the same thing that you were saying. Um, and also it has to do with the whole family, like the kids, everybody being one um, and as a unit in the family. So when everybody is trying to go in off in different, difficult, different directions, um, then it makes it difficult for you to be one because you don't have one heart, one mind. And so um, essentially... Uh, it's very difficult, I feel like, if you're raising teenagers because they want to go off and do their own thing and, you know, not necessarily have one mind um, with the parents, which makes it difficult. But then it does say that, you know, your daughter, your children, they will cleave unto their husbands and, you know, husbands to their wives. So they're just getting in that, you know, stage where they are preparing to be one with another. Um, and until then, yeah. like with all of the kids and everything, that's why you – teach and you, uh, you, sorry, you teach your children up in the same way, so that way you can be one. And essentially what it will be um, when they're talking about being one, even the city of Enoch, they were one, but they weren't all married to each other. They were of one mind, one spirit. They all were, um, all, you know, for God's um, plan and for um, serving each other and serving him. So... I think it depends because I think a lot of people want to interpret scripture their own way. That's what I feel like. They want it to make sense yeah. for them and they want it to um, go go with what they feel is best instead of, um, you know, asking God for interpretation, asking God for knowledge and help. Well, it's also helpful to understand the Hebrew mindset when you're trying to understand what the scriptures mean. Even the Book of Mormon was written by a Hebrew culture. Uh, especially the first part where they lived the law of Moses, the Torah, and they understood it correctly. And when we come at it, at it with a Gentile mindset, we misinterpret what is being said. We don't understand that they understood it a certain way because they understood the Torah. So when um, in section... Oh, I can't remember what section. It was in 1832 that the, play, uh, the church was placed under condemnation. Part of the reason for that was that they treated the former revelations lightly. That includes the Torah. A lot of people think that we don't have to worry about that stuff anymore, but the foundation of the law was the Torah, and the foundation of higher laws is still the Torah. And Jesus said, I do not come to do away with one jot or tittle of the Torah. You know, so... You know, it is what it is. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself. Okay, I'm going to continue to read then. Although marriage is sanctioned, blessed, and commanded of God, mankind have uh, 
wantonly abuse it? Ash Martin Luther said, and yet the whole world shuns this legitimate, divinely instituted union and prefers to indulge in promiscuous relations, which are harmful to mo or in more than one way. Property is squandered, bodies are damaged by serious diseases, God is provoked to inflict horrible punishments, and, worst of all, states and households are destroyed. Why do we not avoid these great evils? Why do we not prefer to seek the blessing of God through a legitimate union? Obviously, because of our nature, uh, or because our nature is corrupted by sin, rebellious and intolerant lies, and does not want to be un or to be tamed or restrained. Luther works, Volume Three. Uh, I don't know, page forty-eight. I would assume. The first commandment given to yeah, man was to be fruitful and multiply. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, when you get to the end of a quote, just say end quote and then give the reference for the uh, quote. That way people know it's the end of the quote and then they know that you're citing where you got where the source is from. So, anyway, go Makes ahead. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, the first commandment given to men was to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. End quote. Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 28. To Noah it was repeated, be ye faithful, or be ye fruitful, and multiply, then bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein, end quote. Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. Generations of children would continuously be born or created, uh, who would follow in the footsteps of their great-grandparents who learned good from evil. But God also gave other commandments and rules for guidelines many of which included laws pertaining to marriage. But many argue that Adam was a monogamist. We are informed about Eve, but it didn't say that he was not a polygamist. Neither did God give any law to him saying that he could not be a polygamist. Those who use the argument that God took a rib from Adam and made only one woman for him must also consider that Adam had more than one rib. Now we're on page 13. Anything to say? I think it's interesting that the symbolic um, whatever of the scriptures, God uses a rib to symbolize um, Eve. Well, I mean, Adam had more than one rib, you know. I'm, anyway, I, I don't know. It's just something that I was thinking of when I Oh, my goodness. These people. I turn the radio squelch all the way up after I leave the mine. Some of these radios just get out, and I get to hear them anyway. So, anyway, I am going down the mine road. Kim, did you have anything to say about any of that? No. Uh, um, I pretty much agree with what you say. Sorry, it takes me a minute to unmute my mic. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Okay, I'll just mute myself again. Okay, continuing on. There are many things that occurred in Adam's time that did not particularly mean that it should always be so. For instance, Adam was told to cultivate a garden in Eden. Is that any reason that any of his posterity could cultivate only one garden? God also told Adam and Eve to make coats of skins to clothe themselves. Uh, see Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Um... I don't know why it's weird like that. It's not like a full quote. It's just a section of it, I guess. But this did not mean that everyone else would be condemned if they wore cotton, silk, or nylon. God knew that as a general rule, man would not want more than one wife at a time. God also knew that there would be exceptions to this, so he not only allowed them to live plural marriage, but in many instances, instances instituted laws directing them to do so. Polygamy was not a marriage system that began with Moses or in later time, but was mentioned in the very first book of the Bible. It is a historical fact that in the patriarchal age, polygamy prevailed. Uh, end quote. I think it's another thing like that last one where it's part of it. Uh, Polubit's Bible Dictionary, page 387. Furthermore, it has been prevailing ever since. And that is the end of chapter 2. Anything to say, people? No, when we come back on for tomorrow's program, we'll be reading Chapter 3. Uh, we'll be talking about Lamech, and the chapter title is Guilty or Not Guilty. So it's pretty, 
another pretty short chapter. Usually the beginning chapters of books are kind of short, which is fine with me because it takes me less time to prepare it, and I'm always happy about that. So um, I... The reason why we're doing this right now is because so many Gentiles, they have a huge problem with polygamy. But as we're going to find out that God actually, in some cases, commands polygamy in the Torah, but also in the Book of Mormon, uh, Jacob chapter 2, he tells them not to live that law unless he commands it. And the reason he commands it is to raise up seed, a righteous generation. Well, in the Old Testament, everybody who was commanded to live plural celestial marriage or plural marriage was part of Israel, and they did raise up children unto Israel and unto God through Israel. So they didn't need that extra tidbit of information like maybe we do, because there's people who live cultural polygamy, and it is my... Um, belief that monogamy is the law that God commands unless he commands otherwise. But God is always looking to raise up a righteous seed unto, uh, you know, unto himself, uh, a righteous children. But there's something else to this. Um, and like, okay, so I'm, I'm using this book to show that, yes, polygamy was lived in Old Testament times, probably in New Testament times, and we'll get into that in this book. Um, but also, um, this was the foundation of the law, which means it is the foundation of a higher law, which was not given to the people at that time. At least I don't believe it was. It could have been. It probably was known by the prophets, but... For elect individuals, uh, for certain individuals, like they would have had to have lived it, lived it for reasons other than Torah law. And Jehovah never gave a commandment that said you you cannot live polygamy. He gave instructions on when exactly to live it and how exactly to live it. He also said multiplying lives was wrong and that that shouldn't be done, especially for kings. But I think that that can be a general principle that um, part of Torah law is that you have to take care of the wives' um, clothing, their homes, their uh, food, their children, and the emotional needs of the wife have to be met as well which is why what David and Solomon did was wrong, because when you have 10, 20, 30, 100 wives or 1,000 wives, you cannot take care of all of their emotional and sexual needs. And we all have sexual needs, unless we're some kind of eunuch or something, or there's some kind of health problem. And some people have a lower sex drive, but, um, but you can't take care of that many women as a man, um, emotionally and sexually, if you've got too many wives, you don't even know what their names are. I mean, Brigham Young said, how many wives do I have? I don't even know. And like, uh, okay, that's multiplying wives, Brigham. Sorry, but uh, that's a problem. Uh, Joseph Smith is accused of having up to 40, 50 wives. Uh, that would have been a problem, too, but that's not what happened. He did not live plural or polygamy the same way that Brigham did or David or Solomon. Also, in Doctrine and Covenant section 132, when it says that uh, David and Solomon were not guilty of any, any sin uh, other than that of the whole Bathsheba-Uriah thing, well, I have a problem with that because... David and Solomon did exactly what the Torah told them not to do, which is sin. The definition of sin is uh, breaking God's commandments. And the Torah is God's commandments and his instructions. So they were guilty of that. And the Book of Mormon actually talks about that. The Book of Mormon says that they were guilty, which contradicts section 132, 
and the, the, the Torah, but it's, it's actually section 132 that contradicts the, the Book of Mormon and the Old Testament. And we also know that section 132 was given by Brigham Young, and he said he got it from Joseph Smith, but I'm sorry, I just have a problem with that. When David or when Joseph Smith in April of 1844 said, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. Now, sometimes they might seem to contradict it because our Gentile mindset doesn't correctly understand the Scriptures. But when you see things from a Hebrew mindset, you begin to realize that things don't contradict the way the Gentiles think that they do. But there's some more, there's something else to this. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit, but I wanted to see if Kim had any comments on anything that was read or anything that I've said so far before I get into that other part. No, I didn't have any comments on that. And um, I'm listening in. I just don't have anything to say. But I understand what you're talking about, but I think we've talked about it, you know, in the recent past. (laughs) Well, yeah, and also Kim and I study this stuff. I mean, I'm always like, part of the thing I like about driving truck is I'm able to study these things out. I have this reader program. I listen to books. I listen to uh, documentaries. Um, I listen to uh, podcasts. And, you know, I'm in this truck for like anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day five or six days a week, and that's what I'm doing the majority of the time. I also listen to political stuff, too, and whatever, history documentaries. But I like being in the truck because it gives me the opportunity to just be by myself and to study things out that I'm interested in. And I am very interested in where my people come from because, as uh, I've talked about in the past, my... My grandmother is Jewish. Her last name was Rezevitz. She was an Ashkenazi, Czechoslovakian, and East German Jew. And um, we've been in this country since the 1700s, I think. But, um, and it's really actually kind of a really neat story that I'm not going to get into because there's some other stuff I want to talk about. But how my family came to this country... It's pretty cool. Anyway, um, well, I'll say it real quick. I won't get into big, long details. But so my Jewish family had a lot of wealth in East Germany and Czechoslovakia. And they had people who they paid to help take care of the the estate. They um, had a servant who had a daughter, and and they had a son, and they fell in love. So this Gentile daughter of these servants um, and the, the Jewish son, they fell in love, which the family completely forbid. Um, my great, great, great grandpa went and married her in secret and they had a child and the family took the child and they put it in an orphanage, uh, some Christian orphanage and they forbid it. So my great, great, great grandpa went and got, uh, he, he moved to another place and took her with him and he got a job on a ship and he hid her on the ship and they, you know, they, the ship was uh, headed for multiple destinations, but one of the places that they went to was, in, uh, was the United States of America. And as soon as my grandfather saw that they were getting close to Ellis Island, he went and got her, and he'd been taking food to her and stuff, and they jumped off the ship together and they swam to the shore and eventually they made it up into uh, uh, to Wisconsin and Illinois in that area there. So uh, that's how my family came to this country. 
but they were able, later, I believe they were able to reconcile, but we have the records of the genealogy of that part of my Jewish family, and they go back to King David. And actually, it's interesting, they go back all the way to Adam and Eve. And um, my grandmother, uh, who converted to, Christ, uh, well, to Mormonism, well, she converted to Christianity first, and then uh, she eventually converted to Mormonism. And this is my dad's mom. Um, they did, she didn't want us to know that she was Jewish. She wouldn't even tell us what her maiden name was. We just knew her as, as Lucille Ricker. So anyway, um, I was in my mid-20s, I think, when I found out when I found out the genealogy and I found out that we were Jewish, um, at least in part, of course, we're a bunch of mutts and we've got other things too. I'm Scottish. I even found a Chinese guy back in the way back. Uh, wasn't able to follow that genealogy anywhere, but there was one guy from China, <laughs> um, Scottish. Um, I'm related to... Scottish royalty and to Charlemagne and to a bunch of royals uh, through both my mom and my dad. And it was kind of funny. We were watching The White Queen on Amazon or Netflix or somewhere. I can't remember. It's a, it's a series. And I really, really liked it. But I, this is my family. And when Kim and I were watching this show, a week or two ago, um, there were banners in the background with standards on them. And I, like, paused it and I rewind, rewound it. And I was like, Kim, look, you see those standards? That is in those books that my grandparents had when I was growing up. They had a bunch of old books, old family Bibles and old genealogical books. And those standards were in those books. And um, I was telling him I hate them because of how they were, but, but they're my family. That's where I come from. Um, and I study all this stuff out. Anyway, okay. So I've gotten a little bit further into it than I intended to. But what I wanted to say was um, I always wondered why polygamy was a thing, you know, and I heard all the arguments, oh, uh, women couldn't have property, so... And that was a thing in Israel, too. Like, they, there, was a, there is good cultural reasons for ancient polygamy, but why is it necessary that we have plural marriage in our day and age? And I never understood that. Well, I never got an answer to that directly, but when I was asking God where he was before the Big Bang and how it's like everything all of a sudden started at once and he's eternal, where did he come from? And he showed me a ton of stuff. He took me up in the spirit. So I've had a ton of out-of-body experiences. None of them were ever intentional. And they were almost always, uh, if not always, where God was taking me up in the spirit and he was showing me. Uh, thanks. Anyway, so um, I wanted to know a bunch of things. And like God, when he showed me this history of who we are and where we come from and where God the Eternal Father comes from and where the spirits come from, part of what I saw was a cloud. In fact, that was the beginning part of this vision that I had opened up before me as I was in the spirit. And God the Father was standing, our Father was standing next to me. And he said, look, and I saw this cloud of light. And I'm in space, okay? And I saw this cloud of light that was massive in front of me. And I came down into the light, into that cloud, and I saw that each, there was like little raindrops. I, I don't know how to explain it. It was like raindrops. And each of these doulets of, of, you know, if you see a cloud, you see this big cloud, but it's made up of these raindrops or these, this moisture, whatever. Anyway, but I saw each one of these things and they were, or, they were orbs of light. And 
God said, look. And I looked, and there was a flash of light. And one of the orbs separated into two orbs. And he told me that this is the birth of the spirit. And this was, these were the intelligences. And when the spirit it, it becomes self-aware, it separates. And it becomes a spirit, a male spirit and a female spirit. But when that happens, that the separation of the male and the female actually starts a clock, an aging clock. And the intelligence can't die, but the spirit can. And each spirit that becomes a spirit eventually will wear out and it will die unless this filling ordinances done so that the male and the female are filled together again. All right. I'm sorry. I'm going in the dip. I'm going to break up for a minute. Um, and did you have anything to say about any of that? I'd only heard that one story that you had talked about one other time, I think. And I thought it was interesting then and was curious how it got passed down. Um, but a lot of your genealogy did, and one time your aunt tried to contact me. I don't know, remember if you said that. You might already told them that. But um, she contacted me with the information from it so that it could be sent to you. Um, I just think that it's interesting. It's really actually a treasure that you have all that stuff um, and that you have stories to go along with it. The people that you come from, your ancestry, kind of um, speak for, like, who you are. I know my own ancestry came over on the Mayflower, and um, what like my great 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 uncle was um, the first um, governor, John uh, Carver, and yeah, and he was also the, yeah, he was uh, the captain the, of the Mayflower. Yeah, the captain of the Mayflower, also yeah. So um, I just think it's interesting who we come from, and I come from a long line of uh, patriots, like hardcore uh, political, um, you know, <laughs> belief in only and they still are. Uh, powerful people. Yeah, they still are. My like where my ancestor even here, they are very much like power to the people, not to a government, and they are um, very much like all about the rights of others. Ha- you know, everybody has the right, you know, to Certain well, they and were so Puritans. They yes, yeah, that's what, yep. Exactly. And they were, esca- so, they yeah. were escaping my family, who was overbearing and trying to control everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was really quickly just going to run out back and check the goats, but I'm going to leave my phone up here for a minute. It'll be like five minutes. But um, Emmett's going to keep reading, right? And I'm just going to run back to check oh, them really quick before I go in. Oh, all done. He's oh, done. yeah, I knew that. I was listening when he stopped. Sorry. Yeah, I knew that. Okay. Um, well, but I'll I just finish. have to go back I'll... and check on them. Okay, that's fine. All right. Well, I yeah. wanted to say some more about what I was talking about, but I went in the dip, which is where I break up. Okay. So I show all of this stuff in the scriptures, and I try to explain it, but that doesn't prove anything to anybody. And what I'm about to tell you doesn't prove anything to you either. But this is what God showed me and why it's important. Because the war in heaven, there were many more elect females than there were males. And what the elect were, were when, when Jesus presented the plan of salvation, the elect were those who never left the plan of salvation to follow after Lucifer. We were the ones who went among those who were deceived by Lucifer before he fell and became a Satan or, or Satan. And we went and taught those people and brought them back over to the plan of salvation. So when it talks about one-third of the host of heaven falling, that was a third that did not listen to us. That They thought that Lucifer had more right to rule than, than Jesus did. And they liked his plan better, which is a plan of damnation, not a plan of learning and of forgiveness and of experience. So anyway, um, but the elect, they qualify for higher blessings. And the elect qualify for the sealing ordinances. And the elect of the elect were saved for this time during this age of the restoration to come down on the earth 
where these things would be revealed to a prophet. And that prophet was Joseph Smith, and God has revealed these things to me in greater detail than what Joseph Smith recorded. And that's why I can speak about these things. That when the elect uh, females outnumber the elect males, but there has to be these sealing ordinances for the elect male and the elect female to become one in the sealing ordinance, and then also to be sealed to Jesus Christ through the law of adoption, that is really, really important. Joseph Smith didn't live plural marriage the way the ancient Israelites did, and he didn't live it how Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and John Taylor and these guys did either. He understood the sealing ordinances which are required for you to receive the highest blessings of exaltation. You have to be sealed, a man to a woman and a woman to a man. And if there are more elect men than women, then there would be polyandry because it's not even about the marriage relationship. It's about the sealing. That's the higher, higher understanding of the law. Now, God does still want to raise up children unto himself. He wants women to be with righteous men. And if there's a bunch of lying hypocrites in the church or in the world, he doesn't want you as a woman to be sealed to them. Joseph Smith knew this as well. That's why he was sealed to women who were married to other men, men who were not elect and not devout, and would not make it to the highest levels of the celestial kingdom, and probably didn't believe Joseph Smith, and probably didn't care. But these men allowed their wives to be sealed to Joseph Smith through this sealing ordinance. But they, these women continued to live with the men that they loved. which in all of these things are so misunderstood by the people because they don't understand why it's even necessary for these things to happen. And they twist it according to their own dark understanding. And, and, you know, they spread slander and lies about Joseph Smith and what he did. Joseph Smith was also married, not married, sealed. See, you can be sealed to somebody without being married to them. But if he chose to be married to them, which I don't believe he did, but it would still not contradict Torah, and it would not be a sin. If, jo- if these women wanted to be sealed to Joseph Smith and have children by him and raise up families, that wouldn't have been a sin either. But, uh, but Joseph still had to obey the other laws because the Torah is still applicable to us in our day. It is the foundation to the higher laws. Everybody's like, well, that's just the law of Moses. That's just a lesser law. Well, lesser laws are built, or higher laws are built upon the top, uh, on top of lesser laws. When God gives us uh, instructions that are the lesser law, it's only to prepare us for the higher law. But most people don't, they pretend to know the higher laws but they don't understand the lesser laws. And if you don't understand the lesser laws and the Hebrew mindset of these things, you're not going to understand the scriptures. You'll get this in pieces, and the Spirit will testify to you about those parts that you do understand, but there's some deeper things that you will not understand unless you get inspiration, revelation, but you have to study these things out. That's why it is good to study what these words mean. Now, real quick, a lot of people use the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance to understand these things. I would, I would uh, advise against that because how they came up with the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance is they took the English scriptures and they said, okay, well, this word is this, and we're going to go back into Hebrew and find the word that matches it. So they're back, back engineering, or they're, they're, Emmett, Emmett, 
Okay, apparently Emmett is unmuted or he's doing something else. I don't know. But anyway, it's basically they're trying to back engineer something that that they should be going forward with, not backwards with. And because they, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, even in the Strong's exhaustive and other uh, concordances that are like it. So I do have a Strong's exhaustive concordance, and I try to use it, but I understand how it was made, and I understand the error of it. So anyway, um, so when I talk about these things, one of the reasons why I'm so like, nope, this is the way it is, because that's what God showed me. And I know that it's true. And I can show things in Scripture and show evidence of it, but if you don't like it, because you have a carnal idea of what it means, then you may never, ever get past that. And I'm sorry, because that is part of Zion's redemption. These sealing ordinances are required for Zion to be redeemed. So, Emmett, Emmett. Well, I'm on wash plant now. It's going to break up. A guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And there is a chat room.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. I hear somebody. I know you're starting to break up a little bit. Yeah, it's me. Uh, I was still listening to you. I was waiting um, for you to be done before I went out back. I'm on but I know you're on wash plant. Yeah, so you're going to be breaking up. That's okay. Um, yep. I don't know um, exactly what he was doing or what he was up to. Um, I do know that if you um, study these things out to the best of your ability, then you can go to God and ask him for more information, more, and he will give you and reveal unto you truth. Um, also, he can help lead you yeah. to the people who know the truth. Haphazardly go about it. And they might hear something yeah. that somebody says, but they never look into it themselves. And they think God is going to give them an answer when they don't even care to go and study this stuff out to find out the truth. You know... Hold on. Go ahead. Uh, I got a nine ground, so but I'll uh, keep that in mind for later. That's fine. Anyway, um, I don't know. I. People who think that they can just sit back and listen to somebody else talk and then try to, like, get revelation. I'm sorry. God expects you to do more than that. His word and his interpretation of Scripture is more valuable, and you actually do have to work at it to seek, to learn, to know truth. You can't just be like, it's like people, it reminds me of the magic eight ball. Like, you ask the magic eight ball the question that gives you the answer is there's no work to it, you know. Like, that's not God. God is not a fortune teller, and he's not a soothsayer, and and you're not going to treat him that way. And if you do, he will not answer you. There's more to this. And, And, like, people that are treating the former revelations lightly... If they were under condemnation back then, guess who's under condemnation still today? There's so many lies in apostate Christianity, and we just adopt traditions like crazy. But there's lies. All, the whole idea that the Torah was nailed to the cross, why was Paul and Peter still obeying Torah law? Like they were, and not just a little bit. That's what they did. The the first Christians were all Israel, Torah-observant Israelites, even after Jesus taught them for the 40 days after the resurrection. 
So, I don't know. Emmett, are you there? I don't know why he would be gone, because Emmett had the headset so he can walk around the house, and he's supposed to be watching the studio. So I don't know why yeah, he would he be gone. Yeah, he may not feel it, though, still. Well, he can lay on, there's a couch in the office. He can lay down. He, did, he knows what, what I ask him to do. He says he'll do it, and then he does something else. I can't turn on, I can't do the end music while I'm driving. Uh-oh. I can't be operating the studio. That's why I ask him to please watch yeah. the studio for me. And he has a $180 headset to where he can even walk around if he wants to and still listen. So I don't Lydia's understand. going Maybe in right now so she can find out. Maybe he had an emergency with the littles or something. He had to go check on them or something. I don't know. Yeah. Any. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but this is kind of stuff that he does. But he's 16, but listening audience, if you've dealt with a 16-year-old, you might have an idea of of what it is to be the parent of a 16-year-old. <laughs> he's actually pretty good. He's a very kind, gentle giant. So. Yeah. So I can pull over here. I'm at the spur. Okay. I, I just want people to realize that there's more. There's always more to all of this than what you understand. And like, I I don't know. I just and and the other thing too is like, okay, so I understand the truth because God showed me all these things, and I've gotten confirmation of the Spirit. And I stand here as a man on the earth with an endless line of people coming against these things. And when I'm like, no, well, okay, we'll try to look at the scriptures because I can't prove anything by the things that I've been shown, but I can go to the scriptures and say, look, this is not an abomination the way you think it is. These people did live this, you know, but um, it's just an endless line and it wears me out. I don't have time to be battling everyone, but, since this has become a huge topic among people that I, uh, in groups that I'm in, I decided, well, I guess I should probably try to focus on this for a little bit. So it's um, not what I want to talk Emmett about, but it Mark, is. Hello? Yeah. Um, Emmett can hear you, but he said he couldn't hear you say his name. That's because he's not paying attention. That's what I think. So he said he could hear you. That's nice. All right, well, I'm going to play the music. I don't know if it'll work. I tried to redo it down on the program today, so but i got to get out. Okay. So we'll be back on tomorrow with Chapter 3, Lamech, guilty or not guilty of uh, polygamy in the Bible. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless. And goodbye. <laughs>
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.